Good morning, today's daf is daf hey, um, today's shir is for Rafur Shleim of Yitzchak Yehuda ben Miriam, um, Zalman Mordechai ben Mary, is it Me- Mira or Mary? Mera. Mera. And um, for a Rafur Shleim of Chayachayka Bas Baba Mechla. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Um, so remember yesterday we were doing, I mean, we ended off with an amazing uh, story of one of a discussion with the Malach Amoves, who uh, his, his agent took the wrong, uh, the wrong Miriam. And, uh, and he said, yeah, basically the angel of death has permission in certain scenarios or the power in certain scenarios to take the wrong person. And then what does he do with the years he owes? So he gives it to a Talmud Chochem to use them wisely. Um, that's, uh, that's how we ended off. But remember the general structure we were bringing Sukim that the different Tanoi, the different Amorayim, when they would read, they would cry over. I, it uh, it uh, astounded them. And I think what I was thinking is that such a beautiful thing is that like we often just read Sukim or read Gomorrah or read and we like read it and we don't let it never mind enter our, never enter, never mind, it doesn't necessarily enter our mind, doesn't even enter our hearts. They were reading Psukim, and they, the Psukim had such an impact on them that they could burst out crying. So we're carrying on with those. Um, it's going to be largely, obviously we're going to get caught up in some of the discussions behind it, but that's largely the structure of today's daf as well. So Rabbi Yochanan, when Rabbi Yochanan would bring to reach the following Psukim, he would burst out crying. Utesi, what's the Psukim? Utesi seini boile volochinom. And he incites me against him and will destroy me for nothing. A slave who when incited against him, his master acts on that incitement. Is there any help? Is there any help? I, and where do we see this? And this is by, by Eov. Because what happened with Eov? The Satan came to Hashem and he basically said to Hashem, like, yeah, it's all very well to say Eov is super righteous, but if he was in a difficult situation, I don't think things would be the same. So that's, uh, um, so, so we see, he was, Hashem was incited and he acted on that incitement, or yeah, incited against Eov. Rabbi Yochanan, when Rabbi Yochanan would reach the following passage, he would cry, Hein Biktoshov, lo yamin. He can't have faith in his holy ones. If in his holy ones, if he can't trust his tzaddikim, who can Hashem trust? And now we give a story to illustrate this concept. But uh, yeah, you can see again the harshness is, um, I think this is kind of similar to the idea, we know don't trust, yourselves until the, don't trust yourself until the day of your death. You never know when the Yetzirah is going to come up with the good uh, battle or good plan and therefore you've always got to be ready for it. So Yomachar Haveko Azuba Urcha once he was travelling along um Rabbi Yochanan was travelling he saw a certain man gathering figs. And he noticed he was leaving the ripe figs on the tree and picking the unripe figs. So Amalai he says what? Aren't you taking the wrong figs? Shouldn't you be picking the right ones? So, yeah, sorry, uh, I skipped a phrase. 
of these better ones. Why are you picking? You picking the wrong ones. You should pick the right ones. So amalei honey leurcho po inen lehu. Now I need them for my journey. Says honey nitorim, honey loinitrin. The unripe ones will keep. The ripe ones will spoil. So that's why I'm picking the unripe ones. So Omar, so Rabbi Yechanan says, Says this is what the Pesach means when it says, Bikdoshev, he can't trust in his, um, in his holy ones. I um, Rashi explains, sometimes young tzaddikim are taken early. They picked before they ripe, before they ripe properly. And the reason is because Hashem wants to save them from the possibility of sin. That's where Hashem doesn't even trust young tzaddikim to grow up and remain tzaddikim. He knows how difficult this world is, and therefore sometimes he picks them unripe. Says Ini, is that correct? There was once this student in the neighborhood of Rabbi Alexandri, and he died while he was young. So Omar, and he said, Um, if that student wanted he could have lived I, he wasn't a good person and that's why he died if he would have been a good person he would have lived quite a, a harsh word saying it says now if it's true that Hashem so, so what's Rabbi Yana, what's he saying he's saying he died because he wasn't good but if it's true that we just said that Hashem sometimes takes young tzaddikim to save them from the possibility of future sin, maybe this was one of those young Talmudim who Hashem took. Now you can't assume that just because he died young it's because he was evil or bad. Maybe he died young because Hashem wanted to save him from the future possibility. So, so must by the fact that Rabbi Alexandri didn't suggest that must be it's not a possibility. We don't say that Hashem takes people young because they're good. Says no, he was a little bit uh, rebellious against his teachers. I, he, I, Rabbi Alexandri knew that it could not be because he was kadosh, because he was holy. He knew that the reason this this young scholar was taken was because he wasn't the best, and. Um, Rashi points out that there's a connection between dying young and disrespectful to one stage because the Pasuk says, It says, uh, Those who are not good and the Rosha won't have long laugh. And then a bit later he says, Those who are afraid before Hashem. And he says, what's this fear before Hashem? So we know the Bible says, You will stand up for your elders. You will respect the Tamidei Chachamim. And then you will have fear for Hashem. So we see that fear for Hashem is connected to respect for your elders. And therefore, Rabbi Alexandri knew by the fact that he was a little bit disrespectful to his teachers. That's why he died young. So you're right, it could be that you do get, or we do get Kadoshim who die young, holy ones who die young, but Rabbi Alexandri knew this wasn't the case. Rabbi Yochanan came out to the high crow, have a bachi. Yo, why Rabbi Yochanan? Why do we find so many of these cases are Rabbi Yochanan when he reached the Psukim, he would cry. We did find a few with other sages, but most of them with Rabbi Yochanan. seems Rabbi Yochanan was extra sensitive to tragedy, and maybe it was, I, mean, I, think, I think it was Rabbi Yochanan, might have been Reishlok, but Rabbi Yochanan used to keep the tooth of, the, of his tenth son who died. He lost the ten sons. 
So maybe he was very uh, sensitive to tragedy and hardship. Okay, Rabbi Yochanan came out the When Rabbi Yochanan reached the following basuk, he would cry. It says, But I'll bring you close to judgment. And I will testify quickly. Those who do witchcraft, those who commit adultery, those who swear falsely. And those who withhold the wages of the workers. So Rabbi Yochanan would cry by the concept that the master hurries to punish them. He brings them to justice and he testifies quickly. What solution, what faith, what help, what hope is there for this person? This is Omar Woe to us that the Torah weighs up. Um, equates the kalos kachamuros. It's saying Hashem's going to bring justice on us speedily. And if you look at the averas, some of those averas of chayav misa, like witchcraft and monophayim, and it brings swearing in Hashem's, um, and and adultery, and then in the same pasuk those who swear falsely, and then those who withheld a worker's wage doesn't seem nearly as serious as adultery. And we see in this pasuk regarding Hashem judging us, they equal. So that's what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai added to the distraught, this, this, this difficulty that this, of, of us succeeding that this pasuk implies. Um, I would, interesting, I would have said on the, on the other hand, we do find that withholding the wages of a worker has an aspect that is very similar to murder because we know that if you withhold parnosa is someone's life, their sustenance. If you withhold the wages of the worker, he's not going to be able to get food, he's not going to be able to help his family. So there is an aspect of withholding the wages of a worker that is extremely severe, but at least punishment-wise, they, they're not a touch. The ones based in will put the person to death for witchcraft or adultery. And on the other hand, they'll just force him to pay. So at least punishment-wise, they are very, very different. And yet we see Hashem treats all severe averas and light averas. He judges and, and testifies quickly. Omar Eshlokish um, says, Anyone who perverts you know, or distorts the judgment of a convert, it's as if he distorts the judgment against Hashem. Now, Shinemar, and this is the continuation of that pasuk, that's why we bring it, Umate Ger, the Pasuk says, and he distorts the judgment against the Ger. But as we know, Tanakh is written without vowels, and therefore you can make droshes on other ways of pronouncing the words. So, and perverts against me. I distorts justice against me, against Hashem. Um, you know, an interesting thing to think about is don't we say anyone who perverts justice is uh, terrible? Okay. But that's why all of a sudden we say someone, uh, and yeah, I think the Gomorrah in Sanhedrin actually says it's like they perverting the just judgment against Hashem. So why all of a sudden here yeah, are we saying it by um, by a ger? There's obviously different aspects of severity. Okay, anyone who does an Avera and he has regret. He gets forgiven immediately. It says, It says, 
It says by all in that pasuk by these averas, and they did not fear me, implying that if they did fear me, if they did show fear of Hashem and regret, then Hashem would forgive them immediately. Yeah, let me just read the whole pasuk because now we've we're going to carry on, but we've um, we've we've interpreted a lot of the pasuks. It says, "I'll bring you close to judgment." And I will testify quickly again. I'll be a witness against you quickly. And then it lists our various Bamachafaim, Ufamunafaim, those witchcraft and adulterers, Uvanishboim, Sheke, those who swear falsely, Uvaishke Seikha Vasakhir, someone who withholds the wages of a worker, Amona Vyasam, or of the widow or the orphan, Umate Ger Veloyirini, Umate Ger, or he that we saw. He uh, distorts the judgment of a ger. We just said that as if he distorts judgment of Hashem. And they do not fear me. Omar Hashem Tzvokos says Hashem of hosts. But that's how we see that. Is now those who don't fear me. That's why they get punished. But if they change, they do tshuva. And they do fear Hashem. Then they will be forgiven. Okay, next uh, teaching. Rabbi Yochanan Kimoti Lahai When Rabbi Yochanan would reach the following pasuk, he would cry. He says, Ki zois kol for every action, God will bring him. Um, God will judge him for all that is hidden. Now, the, now, what we, the first point we're going to focus on? It says for every action, implying even the smallest of action. Oh, sorry. The first point, the first Rosh is a slave whose master judges the affairs he does. The transgression he does by mistake, as if he did it on purpose. Is there any hope for him? Where do we see that in the pasuk? It says for every action, and even those that are hidden to him, i.e., whether he knows about the action or whether he doesn't know about the action, whether it was done by mistake. It says now my al make another drasha. What's al kol on all hidden things? So Omarav what does it mean you punished even for hidden things? Now, this is a very, very important principle. It says, This would refer to someone who kills a last in front of his friend and it repulses him. Now, if you do an action, even though it's nothing wrong with the action, killing last. We've even seen sages who encouraged killing last. Um, but if you kill it in front of your friend and your friend finds it repulsive, that's, a, that's an Avera. This is someone who spits before his friend. And it repulses his friend. His friend finds it repulsive. It disgusts his friend. I, we know that in those days they used to spit all the time. Not like us that we find it totally disgusting. That just about everyone finds it disgusting. But in those days even... Uh, it was very normal. But if you're with someone and you, obviously again... Not that you're doing it to repulse them, to disgust them, to put them off. If you did that, that would definitely be an avera. But here it's you don't even realize and you do it. It's uh, it's considered an avera. Obviously, I think the main point for us is to just be very, very sensitive to how we act before other people. You know, sometimes we carelessly stand on a, 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 a cockroach in front of everyone or something like that or a squash an insect. If people are repulsed by it, it's not the correct action or... Um, even to do simple things that many people would do if it could be repulsive to people, a person could be held accountable for um, distressing their friend. Um, it says, That, that pasuk continues whether good or bad. 
Um, says, what do you mean if it's good or bad? We seem to be saying you get punished even for deeds that are good or bad. So, this is someone who gives tzedakah to a poor person in public. Now, obviously, we're not speaking about a case where the poor person comes up to you and says, can I have tzedakah? And you give him. But if you walk up to someone you know needs money and you're like tapping on the shoulder, um, picture this in your mind, you walk into the brocha and you tap someone's shoulder and say, hi, I heard you need tzedakah, here's some money. You know, or going to shul, going public, and you do that to someone. That's terribly embarrassing. So there... Rebiyana, I saw someone give poor to money to a poor person in public, and he said it would better than having given the tzedakah would have been not to give it because you embarrassed him. We see that the embarrassment of the poor person outweighs the great reward for tzedakah, and I don't need to go into the great malice of tzedakah, um, one of the greatest mitzvahs. Um, so, 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 so we see again how how you're doing a good act in Tovimra, but you can help, you can be punished for it. It can totally be negated because of the evil person. On the flip side, we find it could also refer to someone who gives tzedakah to a woman in secret to call because now people are going to suspect her. She's going to get a bad reputation. Whilst this man coming into her house um, secretly. So again, we see the sensitivity to your actions, that you could be a good action, a good action, but the external factors, the ramifications of it, a person could be held accountable if they're negative. This, that it's a good thing and a bad thing, that it's good, a good deed that could actually be bad, is he sends wife to, he sends meat to his wife on Erev Shabbos. Sha'ina mechutach means it hasn't been uh, nikur. Nikur is you pull out all the forbidden fats that we're not allowed to eat and the forbidden, the giranoshe, the, the sciatic nerve. All those things we're not allowed to eat. If you give, send it home on Erev Shabbos, they're not going to have time to check it and do it carefully. They're going to just quickly cook the meat and you're going to come to eat isur. So that's, why, that's what he's saying. Again, you, the good to have nice meat for Shabbos and you're sending home delicious food says that it's outweighed by the negative cost. I was thinking even, uh, yeah, and you can add to that just the extra pressure you put on them to prepare it so late on Erev Shabbos. Any, is that true that you're not allowed to send this meat that hasn't been, uh, had an anik or done to it on Erev Shabbos? So, but we know Rava used to send it. No, Rav Chizda's daughter, I Rava's wife, Rav Chizda's daughter is different. She was an expert at it. If you would send her the meat, she would check it quickly and be able to do a, a, a proficient nikur. And therefore, by her, it's not a danger. Again, I think why this line is so important, because again, these things, you can't make blanket rules about how to do these things. As we can tell, you've got to weigh it up. You've got to think about it carefully. Squashing a mosquito, squashing a lice is good. But if you do it in front of someone in a way that it puts someone off, it's not so good anymore. Or you can have actions that are very, very good, giving tzedakah. But you give tzedakah in the wrong way that it ruins the reputation of the woman or it embarrasses the person. I, you, it's Yotzos Charbet Seder. The losses, you lose the... You lose this char because of the loss, because of the uh, the avera that you did. And so to hear, Rav is weighing it up. He says the general rule would be you're not allowed to send, let's call it, un, uh, meat that hasn't been nickel, unprocessed meat. But 
He knew in his wife that he could. Again, you've got to weigh up. Are the people around you sensitive or they're not sensitive? Is this act going to trigger embarrassment, trigger bad, uh, a negative, uh, is there going to be a negative ramification? Or is it fine? And that's how all these acts are. They know, there's no blanket rules. They're guidelines. And you've got to take the principle. And again, your action, you've got to think about it carefully. Um, um, Bochi, when Rabbi Yochanan would reach the following pasuk, he would cry. It says, Many bad and sorrows would come upon him. It says, A slave whose master brings upon him Ras Vitsoros, is there any hope for him? My Ras Vitsoros, what's this double language of bad and trouble, bads and troubles? Says, oh my Rav and so just before we go and remember what's a tsara? A tsara is a co-wife. Remember they uh, why is it called why is a co-wife called a tsara? Uh, a, uh, tsara is is trouble, uh, contention because obviously both women generally vow for their husband, so they uh, act in each other. They, they act against each other. So it says, oh my Rosh and also tsara zulazu. This is referring to. Troubles that are troubles to each other. Either it it uh, increases and compounds the problem. Just for example, uh, if you get a, a, a sting from a zibur and an akrav, the Gomorrah um, Avodah explains that for a wasp, oh, zibur here we translate as wasp, for a wasp sting you need cold water and for a scorpion you need hot water. And if you use the wrong water, it's going to be detrimental to the sting. You're going to suffer more. If not dangerous. So if you get stung by a wasp and a scorpion, you're stuck. You can't put anything on it because whatever you put on the one, on it, is going to harm the other one. So that's what he's saying. These sort of troubles, they come on a person um, with this negative uh, effect. Um, and therefore, Shmuel Amr, Shmuel says this is regarding giving. This is going back on an act that could be imtovimra, whether it's a good act or a bad act. Uh, that if you want, um, if you wait, the, the following point is going on, if you wait till the Oni is so desperate, he will have to spend on more expensive prices, whereas if you would have given him earlier, he could have waited for a good price. I, we often know, when you, if you have time to think about something and look, and you can, find, you, have, you can find the best price, but if you wait for the Oni to be starving and desperate, he's going to have to go to the first shop. Might be... Uh, a time when it's not the best market value. If you could have waited another week or two, or if you would have given it to him a week earlier, he could have got it on sale or something like that. Or you know, or he could have bought the produce in season and it would have been cheaper. But now you waited for him to be desperate, he's gonna to have to spend more. So that's what Shmuel says. It could be a good act that is really bad. This is someone who makes who only gives the money to the Oni when he's really desperate. I he didn't give it to him early, he waited for him to be desperate, and now the Oni's gonna lose out because of it. And this is what people say to buy produce will never be found. But to hang it it but to hang the produce it is available. Um I didn't really understand this phrasing, but the best I could get is a poor person can't find, find a poor person can't find money for his basic necessities, but at some point he will be able to find that money when he needs to repay a loan. I like people. If you go up to someone and say, "I need money for food," or "I need money," I'm desperate. They're not as likely to help you. But if you go to someone and say, "Look, the creditor is going to uh, 
kill me? Can you or take uh, take my house? Can you help me here? Then he's going to give more. People are more inclined to give. But again, that money the poor person doesn't get any benefit from. If anything, he suffers more because now he's in debt to you. So that's why you got to be very careful. That's this uh, money. It says, um, Hashem's anger will burn on that day and I will forsake you and I will remove my face from you. So now we're going to have a bit of a discussion regarding the concept, I mean, in general, the concept of Hashem removing His face from us. So He says, Omar Rav, Bar de la Bartivumi, Omar Rav, Rabar de la Bartivumi said in the name of Rav, Kol she'eno behester ponim, eno mahem. Anything, any person who doesn't suffer Hashem withdrawing himself from them is not part of B'nai Israel. I amazing concept. It seems like anyone who's like Tfilas answered who doesn't have it difficult at times is not um, is not part of B'nai Israel. I think one shot I heard on this is that obviously some people see, have it all good and they don't seem. It doesn't seem like Hashem is hiding himself from their lives. I think the further obvious answer is that you never know what people are going through. Each different people go through different difficulties. You can't see. So just because it looks like they have an easy, smooth life doesn't mean that they're not. And then also, I think, um, I heard a chat that it's not always about you. But if you empathize with other people, you see other people going through difficulties. Even if you're not, then you're part of their suffering. Okay, but that's again, Hester Ponim refers to Hashem hiding His face from us. And then it says, Anyone who's not devoured, i.e. anyone whose money is not taken away by the non-Jews, Ainomahem is also not part of B'nai Yisrael. So I'm going to say, and Lerova, Marlo, Behezde Ponim, Aisya, Veloi, Bevoi, Olei, The sages said to Rava, doesn't look like you have either of these. Something's a bit suspicious. Rava, you seem to have a very good life. You're wealthy. Doesn't seem like non-Jews have taken your, uh, that others have taken your money and, uh, and you don't fit into the pasuk, this pasuk that we've just read. That Hester Ponim Hashem doesn't show his face to you. Or that you'll be devoured. So Omar Lehu, Miodasu, Kamam Shatrina, Betsina, Bay Shavu Malka. Do you know how much uh, bribes and taxes I have to pay to Shavu Malka? I don't think that I am being uh, I'm being eaten alive by the taxes. Says I feel hachi yovu bei rabbon and neihu. Nevertheless, the rabbis I think gave him an eye in horror. And hachi shoru bei Shavu Malka begavrayhu. In the interim, yeah, shortly after that, Shabur Malka sent uh, people to loot him. And Omar Hainu Tanya, Omar Abon and Shimon Ben Gamliel. And this is what was taught by Rabbi Shimon, that they said, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said, Whenever the rabbis turn their face to something, I look, uh, criticize and act and uh, give it an eye in horror. That's going to come with the cost of death or poverty. Not sure exactly what how I understand all this piece, but I think the general principle is that, uh, yeah, well, firstly, you've got to be very careful how you look at other people. Again, as I said, you don't know what they're going through. Rob had been paying fortunes in taxes to the king, and nevertheless, they still judged him, looked at him critically, and he suffered even a greater financial loss. Okay, then we know the positive says, Again, when B'nai Shalotin, it says, On that day I will hide my face from you. So, Omar Rav, Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
Rava said that Akkadosh Baruch Hu said, Even though I'll hide my face from you, I will still speak to you in a dream. I, because it says, I will hide my face on that day. I, during the day, I will hide my face. There will be no more nevoah, but there will be dreams. Rav Yosef, His hand is still stretched over us. My hand will still be stretched over you. I'll come back to that point. Um, to this concept, but but sell, um, yeah, sorry, my hand will stretch over and cover you. Uh, Hashem says, I'll still protect you, even when my face is hidden from you. My arm will be outstretched and I'll protect you. Rabbi Shua ben Kanania have a koibe case. Rabbi Shua ben Kanania was in was in the house of the Caesar, and Akulahumina, a certain mint did a hand signal to him, which implied Amadadrino Marila Apemine, a nation, a people whose master turned away from him. I, again, this is an accusation that has been made against Jews. You know, it's been made by a very prominent um, religion, but I think it's more widespread than just them, is that basically Hashem left the Jews. You're right, the Jews were initially the chosen nation, but they sinned and Hashem uh, left them and taken out. So he singled that with his hand. So, so Rabbi Yeshua signaled back, his hand was stretched over us. Don't know, Hashem, no, Hashem is still, we're still Hashem's chosen people. So Amalek, Kaiser, Rabbi Shua, my Ahulay, so the Caesar said to Rabbi Shua, what's he signaling to you? So he says, Amadadrino mare lape minai, that you're a people whose master has uh, disregarded. It says, And I showed him that no, Hashem's hand is still stretched over us. So Amri Leila, who, Mina, my Achvis, Lay, Amamadadrino, Maremine. So the Caesar said to the heretic, What did you show, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yoshua? So he said, I told him that they are a nation whose master has disregarded them, discarded them. It says, What did he show to you? So the slave said, I don't know. So Amri, what you the sort of person who can't interpret these hand signals and you think you have the right to do them in front of the king. They took out this min and they killed him. Um, so that's an interesting story with Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania. But again, what's the idea here? Is that it looks like Hashem is distant from us and has their point, but it looks like Hashem has discarded us. Look at the Jews in exile, just one suffering after the next. One uh, issue of anti-Semitism after the next. It looks like Hashem has discarded us. What if sure? No, his hand is still stretched over us. Now, the one question that they ask, which leads to a beautiful answer by the Beis Alevi, we're not going to be able to go through the whole piece, but in short, he says that, whenever we see Hashem's outstretched arm, it generally refers to punishment. So how can you say this is a good thing, that Hashem's arm is stretched over us? So he explains very beautifully, and he actually ties it in with the monetary halacha. He says that if someone just discards or what's it, abandons something, then it becomes hefker. But if someone's in the middle of breaking something, you can't take it. And he says that, so let's say you walk past someone, you see them put down something in the middle of the street and they abandon it and they leave it there, you can go and take it, it's hefker. But if you see them damage breaking their own property in the middle of the street or wherever, you're not allowed to take it. They're busy with it. They're acting their ownership on it. And he wants to say that that's the same thing here. Nothing would be worse than if Hashem totally ignored us. One thing that Hashem turns away from us, I'll hide my face from you. He won't show this favor to us. That's, that's, that would, that in in its essence would be the ultimate worst. That Hashem just discards us, ignores us. But the fact that He's punishing us, shows that he still cares about us.
A parent who ignores his child is much worse than a parent who punishes his child. And I think that's, the, that's what this Gomorrah is telling us. He's saying, yeah, you're right. It looks like Hashem's discarded us, but by the fact that we're actually being punished, shows that He still loves us, shows that He still cares about us, shows us that He's engaged with us, and He hasn't discarded us. And again, I think that the way to think of that is a child punishing his parent. If the child would do something wrong and the parent would turn away and say, I'm not talking to you. Just leave. Just leave. I'm not talking to you. I want nothing to do with you because of what you did. That would be much worse, much harsher on the child than the parent giving him a punishment. Okay. When Rabbi Shobin was dying, what are we going to do about heretics? I, Rabbi Yeshua, you were, the, you were the ultimate defender against heretics. You always had the correct answer, the correct response. What are we going to do now that you're dying? So says, don't worry. The Pasuk says when the wisdom is lost from the sons, it will... The, the, their wisdom will rot. I, they won't have the same sort of uh, challenges. Once, once the Jews don't have the wisdom to respond to the heretics, it will be lost from amongst the nation. Alternative, you can say Mahacha from another pasuk. I will travel and I'll go and I will go alongside you. This is Esav to Yaakov. What does it mean I'll go alongside you? Basically, it's Asa will never be able to get ahead in his wisdom and his logic. He will never be able to, let's say, outwit the Jews. And that's, uh, that's the reassurance. Rabbi Eli was going up the stairs of Rabbi Barshila. He heard a child saying, reading the following passage. He created mountains and he created the wings, the, the winds. And he will relate to a person everything that he said. Masicho implies even the smallest little things, everything that a person said. says, If at the time of death a person will be told everything that they've said, either be held, held accountable for every single word, what help, hope is there for any person? My masicho, what is, what does it mean masicho? Any speech? What's it referring to? Any single thing you say? What's it? What's it highlighting? So even the unnecessary words that a man says to his wife, they tell him at the time of his death. Says any, you're telling me you're not allowed to have even the slightest unnecessary unnecessary words with your wife. He says, now this is a very hard line to understand, but. Uh, Rav Kahana, he wanted to witness how his Rebbe Rav behaved during intimacy. He wanted to learn from his Rebbe. So he hid under the bed of Rav. And he heard him laughing and joking with his wife. And then, he, and then they had relations. So Omar, he said... Dummy, Puriya Durav, Commander Lotomle Tavshila. Rav, you're acting like someone who hasn't ever eaten, like you're starving. I Rav, you're acting so. Uh, you're acting like someone who hasn't ever had food before. And, now, and that's. You're acting like someone who's got these super strong desires. It says, Omale Kahana Puk, Lavorakara. said, Kahana, get out. It's not appropriate for you to be here. 
But again, what's our question is, Rav was the one who said that a person is not even allowed to say one extra word to his wife. And here we have a testimony that he was chatting, laughing and joking with his wife. So how could he do that? Here is where he wants to appease her, and here, or where he needs to appease her, and here is where he doesn't need to appease her. So either, yo, one possibility to say is that Rav's wife, a, a man has to seduce his wife. You're not allowed to um, seduce and appease her. You're not allowed to... Um, you shouldn't have intimacy when the, when one's wife is angry or cross with you or doesn't want to do it. So you've got to work on um, appeasing her and getting her to, to buy in. Not only that, we can say even further, we find in the poskim, the Gomorrahs and the poskim, that the act should be done out of desire for each other. This is, a, this is an important and interesting point, I think, that, uh, that uh, not many people are fully aware of. But the Torah actually... Wants a man and a wife to des- a man and his wife to desire each other. He doesn't want the act to be done out of duty or out of uh, um, out of responsibility. It must be done out of love and des- love for each other. And that's why Rav was joking and laughing with his wife to build affection between the two, so that they desired each other more. And uh, and that's uh, so that's that's what he was doing, and that's why it wasn't considered unnecessary speech. Just an interesting thing, just to highlight the righteousness of here, is the Rambam says when he's discussing um, good qualities, he says Rav, the sage that we're speaking about now, never said an extra word in his life. He was very very meticulous with it, and and. The, the Kesef Mishnah, one of the main commentaries of the Rambam, it's also, the Kesef Mishnah is the same person who authored Shulchan Aruch, Rav Yosef Karo, and he says, he doesn't know the source for this Rambam, he doesn't know where the Rambam sees that, where does the Rambam see that Rav never ever spoke an extra word? And they bring from here, um, the Marat's Chayos, amongst others, one is to bring from here, and say, this is the Gomorrah where we see it. The Gomorrah is super surprised that Rav was chatting to his wife, so, um, laughing and joking with his wife. Why, why should he be so surprised? What's the... Rav was human, wasn't he? She says, no, because they knew about Rav, that he was super um, extra pious, and in this middle of not saying one extra word, not saying one... Uh, what's it? Not saying dvorim batalim. And there's three words that... Um, pointless words he was very particular with, and that's where we see that Rav never ever spoke unnecessary words. We're going back to Hashem's, we're going back to discuss Hashem's concealment from us. So, if you don't listen, my heart will cry in the hidden places, because of your arrogance. This Omar of Shmubar Ina, Mishmaid Rav, Rashmubar Ina said in the name of Rav, Mokam Yeshola Kodesh Baruch, Mistarim Shma Hashem has this place called Mistarim. But basically, we're going to learn it as Hashem has his inner chambers, and that's where he cries. My Mibnei Gavos, what does it mean, Mibnei Gavos? Omar of Shmubar Yitzhak, Mibnei Gavos, and Shay Yishol, Shenatila Mehem, Venosal Oivei Kochovim. Because of the exaltedness that was taken from Bnei Yishol and given to the Oivei Kochovim, when the Bnei Sabiktash was destroyed, when the Jews sinned, their power was taken away from them, their exaltedness, their loftiness, their beauty, their splendor, and given to the non-Jews. So that's what Hashem cries about. He says, no, because of the exaltedness that was taken from Malchus Shemayim, when the Jews sin, 
the, the world's perception of Hashem diminishes. diminishes. Hashem's exaltedness diminishes. Oh my, Ika, yeah, so that's what, that's why Hashem cries. Oh, Mika Bechia, come out of Bochu. Where do we see, we see that Hashem doesn't cry? Vomera Papa, Einat Saibus, Limna Kodesh Bochu. There's never sadness by Hashem. Shenemar says, Hodvadar Lafonos, Ozvachet, Vobim Komo. There's glory and splendor before him, power and celebration and glory, joy, um, delight in his place. I, there's only delight, there's only happiness by Hashem. It says, No, it depends. Are we referring to his inner chambers? I close to Hashem, there's only joy. But if put further out, then there is sadness. Sorry, sorry. In private, there is... In, if you, again, these are hard to understand and how to think of these in terms of Hashem. But obviously they deeper deeper messages. But basically saying, in private, there is crying by Hashem. But in public, there's only happiness. You're telling me that out, uh, outside of Hashem, there is sadness for Hoxiv, but it's written, Hashem proclaimed those days as days of crying, so we see that there is sadness by the angels and stuff which are outside, which are in the outer chambers. So shiny no, the destruction of the Beisamitash is different. Even the angels of peace cry, Shanema says, they cry about my Mizbach outside. The angels of Shalom cry bitterly. So we see, yeah, in general, you, you won't find crying in the outer chambers of Hashem. By the angels. But by the destruction of the Beis Amikdash, you do find it. Then uh, carries on. I will weep tears. And my eyes will flow with tears. Because the Flock of Hashem has been captured. Why does it say Dima referring to tears three times in this passage? The one is for the base, first base of Midash, the second for the second base of Midash, and the third is for B'nai Israel that were exiled. It's not for the exile. That's not what the crying is. It's because of the Beetle Torah. So, it makes sense according to the opinion who says that the third crying is for the Jews. Being exiled, because the Pasuk says, because the congregation of Hashem is being captured. But according to the one who says that the third crying is because of Bittul Torah, why does it say because the congregation of Hashem was captured? So he says, no. The greatest Bittul Torah is through the exile. The Jews have been, think of how much Torah learning has been interrupted because of the exile and the persecution of the Jews. Okay, carrying on. There are three that Hashem cries for each day. Those who learn Torah, those who could learn Torah and they don't. And on those who don't learn Torah, who, sorry, who it's, impossible for them to learn Torah and they do learn Torah and for a, a someone who lords himself over the Tzibur so I think there, there's an interesting question here so firstly obviously those who could learn Torah and don't learn Torah we understand the loss what about those who learn to could, can't learn Torah but do learn Torah why is Hashem crying isn't that a good thing someone not able to learn Torah and they do 
So I think somehow different people have different roles in this world. I, if you're a wealthy businessman and you're supporting Torah and you're giving charity and you forsake all of that to go sit in the base medrash and learn, that might not be the best learning. Or sometimes I just saw a tweet the other day. A person says, um, it was basically a complaint, but that his dafyomi was getting in the way of his shalom bias. His dedication and devotion, his wife felt that he was, he, he loved his dafyomi more than her and it was creating fr- uh, friction in his house because of whenever she wanted him to do something whether she ever wanted to spend time with him, he's like, no, 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 I've got to do dafyomi. So that's learning that he shouldn't be doing and he's doing. So I think that's shut in this piece. And then it says, Valpanus Amis Galat Rebbe was learning uh, Kinos and he was reading Kimatal Haipsukim when he reached this Posso Kishlich Mishomaim Orech. The Jews were thrown from the heavens to the ground. Nofel min your day. The book fell from his hand. Omar mi Igriram lebiram kim amimta. The Jews have gone from the highest highs to the lowest lows. Rebbe Berebichia have a shockly for Ozde Beurcha. Rebbe and Berebichia were traveling. Kimotelahu Masa Omri. They reached a certain town and they said, Ikatul Berabon and Hacha. Is there a sage? Nasal v'nat bil ape. Let us go and greet him. Omri, I. It's, it's, the, it's etiquette when you go into a new city, when you go into a city, you go and you sit down with the Rav. There is a sage, but he's blind. He told Rebbe, you know, so you remain here. You don't have to degrade your Nasius, your being the Nasi of the Jewish people. I will go and meet him. So Taklev also Rebbe Rebbe ignored him and he and he overpowered him and he went along with him. Kiyave Mifter Minei when they left the sage Omelahu Atem is Kabaltem Ponim Anirim Vaeinon Roim. The the blind sage said to them, "You deserve to be seen. You saw the face of someone who can be seen, but he can't see. Are you still stood me respect and came to visit me? Tis Gulahakil Ponim Haroim Vaeinon Anirim. You should deserve to see. Ah, you should deserve Olam Haba." The one who can see but can't be seen. Ah, you should be merit to to sit in the presence of Hashem. So Amar Lei Ikahashto Menantim Habrichos. So Rebbe said to Rebbe Chia, "You see, look at the bracha you would have deprived me of if you had if I'd listened to you and remained and not come with you to visit this rabbi. Look at this beautiful bracha you would have deprived me of." Amar Lei Miman Shameloch. And where did you get this that it's so important to go? Greet a rabbi. I Rebbe, you you left the honor of your nesiyos to go visit this rabbi. Where did you see that? It's so important. So me pirkat Rabbi Yaakov Shomali. I learned it from the drosh of Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov ishkvar chatya havi makabel ape the rabbi kol yomer. He used to visit his rabbi every day. Ki kash when he was elderly. Omer le loy nistam mar deloy yochimar. You're not able to visit anymore. Don't bother. You don't have to visit me every day. His rabbi gave him permission to not visit him. Omer le mi zutar my dilsiv. Is it a small thing that it's written? Behu berabonen regarding the rabbis vechi od lenetzach. They will live for eternity. Lo yireh hashachas, and they will not see the pit gehenem. Ki yireh chachomim yomosu, because they see wise men die. If you look at the face of a deceased tzaddik, you still merit greatness. Those who see the wisdom, the wise in their death, how much more so get that possible? They will get eternal life and they won't go to Gehenna, etc. If that's Al-Achas B'Misosom Yichye B'Chayeyem Al-Achas Kama V'Kama How much more so in their life? So that's why he's saying you see the 
greatness of visiting a tzaddik in his life. Maybe we'll say a few points on that tomorrow, but we'll leave it here for today.